listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, mate? You know, I'm doing surprisingly okay. <laughs> After dental surgery last night, no one. Yes, yeah, yeah. Not to not to take our listeners through it in uh, terribly gory detail, but uh, uh, there there was a dental surgery that was required last evening, and you know, so if I'm slurring my words a bit more than normal today, I assure you, I haven't been at the tavern this morning. Um, <laughs> it, uh, we are Canadian, a, so you never know. That's true. It's more just the residual impact of. Uh, but uh, look, uh, glad that I'm able to at least uh, converse with you all today. Yeah, no, it's 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 good to have you mostly in one piece. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> so I, I'm I'm looking forward to what we're going to talk about today because it is a subject that every modern manufacturing marketer runs into, and we don't always know what to do with it. And of course, I'm talking about data. You know. Yeah, well, it's kind of almost a dual challenge, I think, of uh, of, of of data, but also like the uh, how do you deploy data powered, data backed marketing programs uh, uh, when you're marketing to people who aren't tethered to a desk all day? I think it's a fascinating conversation. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me as well. So why don't we just jump into it? So joining us today is John Starr. John is the director of marketing at Methods Machine Tools. Welcome to the Coolering, John. Gentlemen, good morning. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Glad you're with us. Yeah, was good, to, and I'm I'm uh, pleased that you did not have dental surgery last night, John. Well, you don't know. I mean, you I'm might assuming have. it would have come up by now. Yeah, I tend to get those appointments at the end of the workday too, and uh, yeah, I don't envy you. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, uh, introduce uh, our listeners to Methods Machine Tools, if you would, and uh, give us a bit of a glimpse into uh, your world. Sure. So uh, Methods Machine Tools, we are a importer, distributor, service provider of CNC machine tools and engineering services. Uh, company's been around since 1958, operating continuously. Uh, I'm sitting here today at our national headquarters outside of Boston. Uh, we have regional offices around the country. We have uh, direct and indirect sales motions covering the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. And, uh, you know, if anybody out there is familiar with methods or maybe not, right, uh, we, again, provide and service a whole range of leading CNC manufacturers, FANUC, Nakamura, Tomei, Yazda, Kiwa, OKK, uh, Weiler, and uh, our own methods machining centers. And again, we, as a service provider, wrap that around with a full suite of services around automation and integration, process management, really all that heavy lifting on the engineering side. Uh, to help our customers really excel um, as fast as possible. And uh, yeah, Methods, uh, you know, not, not, not the largest company out there, but we believe in our products and our engineering services, and I'm focused on providing that, that total customer experience and uh, solutioning. And John, how long have you been with the firm? So I've only been here um, coming up on two years. Uh, it's uh, been a been a fantastic ride so far. Um, you know, my background, I am not from the manufacturing sector historically. Um, so, you know, coming into methods and coming into the manufacturing world and the CNC machining world was definitely new to me. Uh, you know, my background is a Took me in a bunch of different directions, actually. When I graduated college about 15, 17 years ago, I actually jumped right into 
the world of sports writing. Um, ha had a little bit of inside sales experience, but quickly learned after about two and a half years that doing inside sales and business development kind of work was, was not for me. Um, so I spent about six years uh, covering minor league baseball, major league baseball, stringing at a few places. And then uh, in about 2012, you know, when we, my wife and I decided, you know, it was time to start a family, figured I better hunker down and get off the road and stop with the crazy work schedules that had me going till all hours of the night and um, took the foray into the corporate world and where I spent, you know, better part of 10 plus years in enterprise technology companies and really had, a, 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 I feel like, a very valuable experience progressing from internal marketing into executive communications and messaging. And, um, you know, again, spent about six years in, in executive comms and PR and then, you know, really took that leap into you know, sort of portfolio management and, and the marketing side. Um, one, as a, as a personal challenge, right, when the opportunity with Methods came about. And then two, looked at a company like Methods where there was so much potential in a marketing role to be able to help evolve what we do from a marketing standpoint and really help bring together, um, you know, a stronger brand, a stronger presence on the marketing side for methods, knowing that we have such great products and services. So um, definitely has been a challenge, but a fantastic opportunity. And, you know, I've really enjoyed every day I've been here. I really always love the journey of a lot of the marketers we speak with on this show because you know you you, you don't always talk to somebody who worked in writing for major league baseball and I know, you know, that, right you miss that side of things john um not you know uh, surprisingly not too much i get that i get asked that question a lot and for me it was you know i kind of look back and say you know what i did it i got bylines i got experiences it was great uh, but boy, those late nights, early mornings, overnights, travel, um, that is a grind. And so I still have some colleagues that are, you know, in that game, in that business. And um, it is not easy. It is not an easy life. So, no, I, I don't miss it. I like being home with my family. It's always the way, whether it's uh, baseball writing or just uh, more, uh, shall we say, mundane business travel. It always looks a little sexier before you're actually the one doing it, you know. <laughs> Look, John, this is a, I do want to kind of hook on that executive comms and PR background a little bit. Maybe we'll get into that a little bit later because uh, I, 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 I'm kind of curious as to how that experience has intersected with what we're talking about. But kind of, uh, you know, jumping into it, one of the, the biggest challenges that you've found uh, as you've moved into to, to marketing for, for methods, machine tools, is that these people aren't tethered to a desk. The influencers of, of deals are um uh maybe not in a position to be as exposed to uh your digital marketing prowess as as you would like or at least in a different way and then that kind of challenge is intersecting with this data challenge i guess this notion of especially in a company of engineers is kind of need to be able to back it up as you're suggesting what we're going to do next so Talk to me about that challenge. What's the, I guess, how did you, how did you kind of uh, even package it, uh, package up the challenge in that way? Like it must have been a bit of an awakening as you went into the business and started saying, oh, this is what I've got to deal with. I've got a bunch of people I need to convince and they're nowhere near a screen for a chunk of the day. Right. And that was, I think, the biggest learning for me in the beginning was, 
you know, from a marketing perspective, the people that consume content, the people that are reading, watching, learning, right? Like, when are they accessing, accessing that material? But more importantly, like, what is their day-to-day -day experience? And I think about our core constituency, right? And as marketers, everybody's looking for that ideal customer profile, right? That ICP and building personas and all that work. And that is all very valuable work. And for me, coming in from the outside of this industry, spent like a good, you know, for your first few months, just learning about like, what is the day-to-day -day experience of somebody who's in this business, right? If, if our customers are operators or our customer experiences are being led by operators who are working with their hands, they're in machines, they're, you know, they're not sitting at a desk like I tend to do <laughs> too much of the day, right? But, you know, how is it that you can convince people in a increasingly saturated world where there's so much content? How do you reach those people? And again, it's, um, looking at, uh, you know, all the channels out there. And I think for, for marketing in manufacturing, right, the, the biggest challenge has been how do you convert that person when they don't know what your, they're not familiar with your brand. And so I've stepped in. What I did when I came in, I looked at all of the channels we're leveraging, all the content we're creating. Is it as informative as it could be? Is it as sharp as it could be? Knowing that, you know, for somebody who might have influence in a customer account. It could be that operator who maybe looks at his phone for 10 minutes while he's in the break room trying to get down his lunch as fast as possible. Uh, so really what I, my first challenge coming in was looking at sort of our holistic marketing stack, if you would call it, right? From the technology and the content and the assets and looking at going, is this something one that's going to appeal to a prospective customer base? And then two, is it telling that right message? And is it captivating? And from my experience, right, and I think about my experience looking at, you know, first being a writer, a journalist, I felt like that was a, you know, from a core competency standpoint, I really look back on that and go, boy, that was so critical because marketing at some level is about storytelling. It could be a 10 second story. It could be a 10 minute video. It could be a 30 minute podcast, but it's really trying to convince and, and visualize that story for the customer. Um, so that was the big challenge coming in right off the bat was here's a 65 plus year old brand that has its own brand, represents brands with a lot of power, Fanuc, Nakamura, Yazda, et cetera, right? Like these brands proceed themselves. Um, so the challenge is how do you harness all that brand power underneath in our portfolio with our sort of Uber brand as methods and bring that to market in a really captivating way? I'm curious because, of course, when people talk about like that, you know, paint that picture uh, as you just did of, of, of the time-starved person who's not in front of a screen all day but is on the phone over break or, 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 or what, what have you. And I mean, uh, you know, the instructions to marketers coming out of that, some of them are a, a little more blatantly obvious than others, like i.e. form factor of that content, being able to see it on the phone even, um, pretty critical. Uh, seems like table stakes these days, but it should be noted. I just spoke to a manufacturer before, before this podcast that uh, whose website is not accessible via phone. Um, uh, so the form factor piece is a bit um, uh, obvious, but I'm curious uh, how how else has it shifted your content approach? Does it mean that you need to be uh, more more straightforward or to the point, or how else has your storytelling approach? shifted based upon this uh, unique target? 
the form factor question is really important, right? Because, you know, when we think about channels, right, especially, you know, everything is increasingly in a mobile world. And then now you're trying to juggle and learn, like, what are the algorithms like, right? Whether it's Google or YouTube or LinkedIn. Um, when you combine the factors of, you know, it's got to be mobile friendly. It's got to be short and to the point. It's got to be informative. And I think from a storytelling standpoint, for what I was really, what I really try to drive now is how do we show up in a way that is representative of what our customers are experiencing, right? Like does our content enable people who are consuming it to visualize how it will solve their problem? To visualize like, yes, that is something that I do every day. You know, in our world, in the CNC machining world, it could be a certain type of cutting. It could be a certain type of automation. It could be a certain type of integration, right? Where we know that customers have a lot of engineering challenges. So how do you show great examples of that engineering, of that product, of that cutting, so that a customer or a prospect perhaps in as little as 30 seconds can go, boy, I've had that challenge. Now I'm seeing something that goes right into my you know, sweet spot of, of what I need to solve. And then from the form factor side, right? It's like, you know, we've seen YouTube deploy their YouTube shorts. You know, you kind of, I've been trying to pay attention to how like LinkedIn responds to some video and responds to different form factors of video or different form factors of images and graphics. And then the back end of that is like, again, you touched on data earlier. It's like, what are you able to discern out of those analytics and that content performance that will then inform your go forward content strategy? When you're coming into an organization like this, you know, and, and serious longevity, 65 years, been doing some marketing, did you find any hidden gems that, you know, of content that was really resonating and really working? And did you find anything that was just like, wow, we, we've spent a lot of time and money on this and it really didn't do anything? Yeah. Uh, I mean, to answer the second part first, I mean, I, I think, and this applies, I think, largely what I've seen now in the manufacturing sector, right, is that there is a, we know there's a generational shift, right, in terms of decision makers in this industry, um, you know, sort of your influencers, your power brokers in this industry, right? And so with that has come this evolution in the content. And I think when I came into methods, you know, there was still a lot of, there were some aha moments where going, guys, we're, 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 we're following a model that, you know, has basically been left behind, right? A lot of physical assets, physical brochures, things like that. Not to say there aren't still points in time for that sort of thing, but really what, you know, my biggest challenge is and my, you know, the team here from a marketing perspective is how do we really go through this marketing transformation where, you know, there's been a lot of historical marketing that while good has not provided the scale and reach that we need from the digital side. And so that is sort of, if I were to put the charter of our marketing team here under one sort of banner, it's really evolving into a much more digital first marketing engine. Um, and, you know, that's, that's been, you know, that, that's requiring a lot of internal learning, some change management behaviors, you know, even changes the cost structure and how we, you know, fund marketing and what are, uh, you know, how we go attack marketing. And so, you know, there's still a lot to, a, a lot to learn and a lot to sort of pull forward on our side, but, um, so, you know, what I found, what, what is working, and 
you know, we're going through it right now because as you know, I'm talking to you gentlemen, right? We're, we're about one week away from a large open house here in our, in our headquarters here outside Boston. And, you know, we found that even despite this shift, all the digital trends that I just, you know, we've talked about and I mentioned, right? There is absolutely still that place for physical events, shows, bring people in. Um, now, I will note that we, uh, we draw a clear line between sort of the industry trade shows and events on our properties. I think when it comes to the trade show network, the trade show ecosystem in this industry, I think there's, I think an inflection point, and maybe it was driven by COVID, was reached where as a marketing business, as a marketing team, as you know, you're budgeting, you know, that ROI on those trade shows is over time not really going to end up giving you what you're looking for. However, we've found a lot of success in bringing folks to our offices, right? This is going to be the fourth open house we've run it at one of our facilities in the last year. And there's still a lot of power in getting your customers on your property. And that I found has worked and has been a historical, um, you know, real marketing high point for, for methods is that when we feel very confident in, you know, the power of the brand and the power of bringing people together on site here, but knowing that, you know, from a trade show perspective, just again, in that ecosystem of trade shows, we've made the decision to pull back from those just from an ROI perspective. The marketing game for us now is really scale, reach, and being able to do that selling when your salespeople are not in front of the customer. I find a, I, I always find it an interesting challenge when we, um, uh, you know, th this notion of uh, in-person events. I mean, what I, I think what's, what's fun about it is in-person events um, uh, are not only uh, good for the customers that are showing up, uh, but the, the salespeople and other executive team members or people from just inside the business that are there, they get a lot of qualitative, if you will, benefit out of it. Like they can feel that they're building connections. They can, they can feel the momentum. And as a result, yes, sales will probably come out of that, but it's, it's always fascinating to me how uh, organizations are kind of okay with the more qualitative measures uh, when, 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 when events are, are, are in place, but the quantity, you know, the marketing, when it comes to other data, you know, data-driven awareness initiatives or what have you, tends to get sometimes held to a bit of a tougher uh, ROI standard. I guess I'm curious, John, with that long preamble, are you how are, how are you approaching it as you're looking to measure what's working and what's not? You're looking to make more data-driven decisions. Are you looking at those things that you're doing at the awareness stage and saying and, and defining how you measure ROI a bit differently, i.e. Is kind of ROI of those awareness initiatives in some way just can we get somebody to an in-person event at some point in the next 18 months, yes or no? Like, are we starting to get to that kind of measure? Yeah, I mean, measuring qualitative data is, is a challenge, right? Because you don't often have hard metrics. I, I think, um, you know, when, when I think about it like our open house, right? Sort of my, how I view my role at that show is to gather that qualitative data, right? Is to just have those conversations, right? Not trying to sell them from a marketing perspective, but just kind of learn like, why'd you come? What are you looking for? What do you see here that you like, right? What kind of challenges are your business, ha is your business having that brought you to this kind of event? 
Um, or, you know, maybe it is just, hey, it's, it's um, customer experience, customer appreciation. They, they, you know, they like working with us, so they're coming to the event. I, I think the qualitative notion um, is hard, but what we think about, you know, in measuring our data is you got to have those fundamental key performance indicators, right? And have, you know, from my sort of my discipline, right, I, I try to look at everything we're doing, right? What are our objectives and what are those key results, those key APIs that we're trying to measure, right? And like everything should be bound within those guardrails to say, you know, we're not just trying to spray in every direction and hope something lands, right? So whether it's qualitative data in terms of, you know, you know, I, I think I will admit that from a qualitative standpoint, I'm still learning with respect to what works best for our business. Um, but it really is just kind of really capturing those conversations, capturing those impression points, and really trying to distill that into an informative opinion. And that's what I'm trying to capture at these shows, right? Is like, what are consistent themes, messages, points that I'm hearing that could then give me at least a baseline of information to go, okay, we've had X number of people come in through the door in an open house, and here are just like the top five themes I'm hearing. And that's kind of what I ask of our, our sales reps there, the other support staff we have at the show is just, you know, we take a debrief after a show and say like, forget how many people we came in, had came in at the moment, forget how many leads we got or quotes we put out there. Just like, what did we hear? Um, and then at the same time, right, like really trying to measure our audience after the fact with some surveying or things like that, where we do get a little more quantitative data, but also looking for that qualitative data in terms of just raw feedback, right? Not even a numerical piece of feedback, but just give us that raw feedback. Um, and make some determinations from that and then look at a, the qualitative results of that against the quantitative and see if there's any connecting themes there. Makes sense to me. I, I'm, I'm curious, uh, as you've pursued more, more data-driven decision-making in your marketing and methods, have you, what surprised you the most? Have you, have you kind of looked at a data set or, or, or uh, kind of a results of a marketing initiative or what have you, and have said, huh, I didn't see that one coming. You know, I can think of one example, um, you know, about a year ago. So we, we represent a brand line of three axis, five axis machines, big horizontals. I mean, these are machines that are used cross automotive, you know, automotive, aerospace, right? Big pieces that cut on these things. And about, I would say, almost about a year ago this week, I would say, we became, you know, we overtook full national sales and service of this product line, right? Japanese company we represented here in the U.S. And, you know, so we just put out a press release and said, hey, you know, we now represent this brand nationally sales and service. Wasn't really trying to go beyond that, right? Um, but boy, within the six months after, you know, a press release and, a, you know, some pickup in our industry media, I've seen now, now that we're 12 months out, a significant pickup in, you know, traffic to our website, you know, product inquiry through our website, service requests through our website. And now it's like, now we're learning and going in through data that we can acquire either through our CRM or through accessible manufacturing data. Um, boy, now we know where to go hunt, right? Because now we've started to see where's our web traffic coming from? Who's coming to us? Who's finding us? And now it's informing us, one, content to create, two, geo-targeting, trying to ring fence opportunities and then really strike at them and use our CRM to go, okay, 
we're taking this activity, what are we seeing on the backside of it? I think it's interesting because, you know, there, there would be an awful lot of marketers that would just poo-poo the idea of a press release in 2023 or 2022, and I guess when that one went out. But, uh, you know, it, it it's uh, as our uh, um, former director of strategy used to say, it really works. You know, <laughs> and it's it's always interesting when, um, you know, some a, a tactic that some people just don't really think matters shows that kind of longevity and helps point the way towards what additional types of content would be beneficial just by getting that media mention, getting that pickup, getting, getting it out there beyond, you know, beyond your own kind of internal um, platforms. Right. Very tactical, you know, a very specific marketing tactic. But from that, we saw significant traffic and pickup. I mean, even to this day where we can find traffic that is navigating from something that was up on an industry media site a year ago. Um, so it is, you know, again, that's just one more sort of tool in the toolbox uh, from a brand position, but then looking at it and going, okay, whether it's media engagement, CPC, um, you know, organic content, you know, paid search, paid social, all that sort of thing. When we get to the data-driven side now, one of our biggest challenges from the marketing side since I've come in is implementing that, you know, really taking a holistic look at the content stack, the marketing stack, what we're doing from the paid search side. And now harnessing all that in through our CRM so that our field is more actively informed and proactively informed so that they can start having much more informed um, insights into where they should go sell, who they should go call. Um, because one of the biggest things I learned in the beginning was, you know, a lot of our reps, and again, we're not, you know, we're not some of these other companies where they've got reps that, you know, we, some of our reps covered significant geographic territories. And so they don't have the hours in the day, week, year to be knocking on doors all the time. So the biggest thing, one of the biggest things I looked at coming in was how do we take our CRM to another level where we can now apply data based on what's coming in through our website, what's coming in through our campaigns and enable our reps to see that information so that they can start proactively you know, engaging prospects without having to knock on doors or and cold call all the time, knowing that, okay, I've got six calls to make today, but I know that these people have been on our website, downloaded a brochure, has consumed a piece of content. And then what we do from the marketing side is really look at all that holistically and say, okay, this is where we're seeing activity. Let's double down on that. We Or we tried this over here and it didn't really work. So let's just kind of pull back from that and make it a lower priority. But again, that's all got to be under the guise of a defined strategy. Um, and, I, and I do think from a manufacturing marketing side, you know, if I, I think there's one takeaway that I'd like to share from the discipline side is setting that strategy for your team, for the other departments so that they know what you're working on and what you're working toward and what they can expect from you from the marketing side. Because I think this shift of taking marketing from a sales support function into a real revenue revenue driving piece of the business. That's also one of my biggest goals here, right? Is not for marketing to just be this cost center, but to actively drive revenue. That's really great advice, uh, uh, John. And uh, 
I, uh, I, I'm kind of a my my inclination to drill down on that is running in a conflict with my curiosity around um, the executive comm side. So maybe I'll, I'm going to feed my curiosity. So anyway, this this uh, this started with a with a bit of a realization that a bit more of a traditional uh, approach PR is showing you know some unexpected results. Um, I would think it's fair to say that one of the areas where manufacturers, uh, one of the areas that manufacturers maybe don't leverage as much as they could is the power of their executive team and executive communications. What, have, what has been your impression of how manufacturers think about executive communication, given that you're somewhat new to the manufacturing space? Look, I think holistically, your executive team internally is your your, you know, sort of your voice, it's your identity, right? And I think whether you are, you know, a small, you could be a shop of 20 people, you could be a medium sized business of several hundred or a large enterprise, right? The executive leadership's team ability to map chart and make a vision for the company and be able to distill that down at every level is a critical piece to culture, um, you know, operations, uh, talent retention, right, uh, which is a, a critical piece right now in manufacturing. And so I think, you know, again, going back to that idea of you don't have people tethered to a desk, you have people who are just heads down working, you know, working in a machine, working with their hands, they're not thinking about what's happening up here, but they will feel it when there's a shift or a change. And so being able to have it, you know, internal messaging from an executive level to say, this is what we're doing, why, how, when, where, and really be able to paint a consistent, steady vision and show that everything we do is toward that North Star vision, right? I think no matter the size of your company, as a business leader, as an executive in a company, that is foundational to how your company operates because the stronger your culture, the stronger your internal awareness, the more that folks can show up every day and realize how their individual work ties back to that North Star, I just think the more healthy and productive your business is going to be. How important is that executive comms externally? Um, I would say from, I think of, you know, a CEO, let's say, or a president of a business unit, and this was always my approach with executive comms. They can be, a, a CEO can be, a silver bullet, but you want to deploy him or her strategically, right? You know, I, I think there's definitely something to CEOs having social presence, engaging on social, right? Because that is a brand awareness message, right? It, 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 you know, it allows people to see who's that person running the company. But I think when you're talking about events or PR, things like that, executives should be deployed in a strategic message so that their message doesn't you know, get oversaturated or they sort of get lost in their message. So when there's, when they step out there, it's going to, his or her message is going to resonate, right? And that when they put something out, you know, there's gravity behind it. Yeah. The, uh, uh, the, uh, that's good advice. I, I always wonder, I mean, we, we've, we've had a, a occasion to interview the, um, the occasional president or CEO of a manufacturing firm that's really leaned into of being a public presence more on the sales side or on the product introduction side or what have you it's always surprised me how much more 
benefit manufacturing CEOs get out of that versus other CEOs? Like I think, you know, for instance, there'd be a lot of um, founders in the startup space or what have you that, you know, the, the importance of having a founder's story and getting out there in media is um, consistent in their categories and therefore it's kind of almost a me too game. They don't get much benefit out of it. They just have to be there. Um, whereas uh, in manufacturing, I, I don't know, it feels to me that there's still a bit of blue ocean there. Maybe I'm uh, leading the witness too much now, John. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, and I think it kind of goes back a little bit to that evolution of who are the business leaders in manufacturing today, right? I think there are those that are just more comfortable leaning into it because they're a little bit more of a, you know, quote unquote, digital native, perhaps, right? Or, you know, they, they you know, have a, at least an experience in doing it. But then there also are those executives and leaders who just say, hey, you know, we're not a big company. So, you know, I lean into it as the as the leader and, you know, want to put the face to the leadership because it's a reputation game too, right? Uh, the more you come across as a thought leader, the more you come across as a trusted leader, right? The, ideally, the more positive impact that's going to have back on your business. Um, so I would say, you know, I think for executives, particularly, you know, the larger your business gets, I'd say it's a really good opportunity from a branding perspective to have a public facing CEO. But again, I think from a social perspective, from a content creation perspective, look, I'm a, uh, this is an, uh, certainly a biased opinion, but I think any business leader that puts him or herself out there would be would benefit from having a communications, PR, or even a marketing lens, right? To look at it and go, why am I doing this? What's my message? And how do I keep it crafted and honed to achieve so that it's achieving the objectives I want it to? John, it's been, uh, it's been wonderful having you on the show. I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's been a nice kind of meander, if you will, from uh, um, uh, challenge uh, of data and, and, and and uh, selling to, um, uh, to to folks who are uh, very busy and otherwise not in front of a screen to uh, to the role of executive comms. It's, it's been uh, it's been great. Thank you for sharing your. Uh... Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's always a great conversation, and I think you know as the manufacturing industry continues to evolve into its you know next iteration with reshoring and domestic manufacturing opportunity and technology. Um, you know, there are larger technology trends that I think are going to continue to shape and change how we market in this industry. Um, it, it's a really captivating time. And that's for me is why I, I was so interested by the opportunity to come to Methods and have the opportunity to lead the marketing function here. Um, because I just feel like, and I tell, I tell our team this every day, there's so much greenfield out there. No shortage of challenges, but so many opportunities to try and learn and do new things, see what works. And as a creative, what else could you want? <laughs> Appreciate you sharing your, your perspective. And uh, sounds like there's a good potential for a version two episode uh, next year with you and find out where, you, uh, where you've landed after that. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash thecoolerring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.